Pulse Audio Podcast Network. In these strange, unprecedented times, it's hard to know what to count on. Can you count on your favorite restaurant being open? Do you know if you're going to have a job tomorrow? Well, we're here to give you at least one thing you can count on. Whining about history, the Women's History Podcast, where two longtime best friends chat about women from history you probably haven't heard of and chug a fuck ton of wine while doing it every Monday right into your ear holes. And if you're a new listener, oh, honey, we gave you so much to binge. You will you will know what you're doing every day forever yeah, this now. This is episode 70. You got, yeah. You got a lot to catch up on. We are actually, I'm very proud of us. Uh, by the way, I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And uh, I'm very proud of us because last episode was episode 69. And there were a lot of pussy puns being thrown around, but we did not make a 69 joke because we are professionals. <laughs> Play golf clap. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're on a bit of a time frame, so we're going to be extra like on top of it today. So let's just dive into our wine because God knows I need it. So this is actually very special. It's almost a wine and say their name in one. So this was given to us by our dear friend Carissa and her husband Jim. They usually make beer and have a party every year, but obviously because of COVID, they're not having a party this year and they had actually made some wine. So Carissa asked I didn't I didn't ask. This is important. She asked if she could drop something off for us. She was like, when are you guys recording? Can I drop something off? And so she did. She dropped it off earlier today. And this is a sparkling where is it? Raspberry mojito <gasps> wine. So this was made just for us. No. It sounds like it, it was. It was bottled and brought over just for us. It feels like it was made for us. We can just us. say it was made for us. Yeah. yeah thank so, you, Carissa. Thank you, Carissa. And Jim. And Jim. But mainly Carissa, because she brought it to I'll us. I'll never forget that time you walked me down the aisle at my best friend's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> There's not going to be much of a clink here. I'm going to do this. Yeah, we're doing our plastic fucking patriarchy um, glasses from yeah, our wine, the whining our, crane. Our glasses were dirty. So yeah. I'll just do a fake clink here. All right. Well, we still need to cheers. Otherwise, it's not real. Cheers episode. to Jim and Carissa. Cheers, guys. Tap. Clunk. I love this. This is so different from what we usually drink. It's very, it's very subtle. I so I taste the raspberry. You can no, the raspberries. Okay, there are so many wines we drink where they're like hints of leather shoe and mahogany and oak bark, and I'm like, I can't taste any of that. But this, I taste the raspberry. I taste the mojito, and I'm not really good. I'm not a big mint person. It's but subtle this enough. is it's like, good. It's like a crisp, cool feeling. Right? It's not like and the you're raspberries sucking on a in the forefront, mm-hmm. and then the mint kind of just comes in softly in the background. It's really good. Oh my god, I would buy this. I would too. I'm not joking. This is. I will r- let them know. This is very different from what we normally drink, and I'm super into I'm super it. Into it, yeah. it doesn't. It, this is gonna sound weird. It doesn't have like a whiny taste. Mm-mm. Like. No, no. It's more mojito-y than wine, it's, but it is It's sweet. Wine. It's refreshing. It's almost kind of like uh, white grape juice. Like, it's just that cool, crisp, refresh- refreshing right. thing. So sorry, you guys can't drink along with us, but you could make a raspberry mojito and just pretend. It probably won't be as good, though. Sorry. I could chug this. More this is wa- dangerous. There's more in a water bottle. It was very dangerous. Oh, she brought it. Is that why yeah. that's here? Yep. <laughs> did you take a picture for our wine Wednesday? I did of the glasses. I didn't. Put okay. The water on there. <laughs> it's a big ass water bottle. Right. Lovely. Gotta love Carissa. 
Okay, so I'm just going to jump in. So I'm doing two women, and I'm ca- I called them the Mongol Mavens, because that was the, like their only connection. Ooh, both Mongols. I so, love that. Because I was going to do one, but it was only like a page and a half, and I'm like, that's a little too short. But now that we're on a time crunch, I'm like, oh, I should have stuck with one. <laughs> Anyways, so the first person I'm covering is Alakai Becky. And this is obviously, what did they speak? Oh, Mongolian? Shit. I let's say I Mongolian. Assume Mongolian Persian, probably something around that. I'm really I, sorry that I don't it know. It may have depended on the the specific right. tribe too. So Alakai was born in 1191 and was one of the daughters of Genghis Khan. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, so like we're talking <laughs> the Mongols. Heavy like, hitter. <laughs> um so he she was from Genghis and his first wife Borte. Um and she played a significant role behind the scenes during her father's lifetime. However, not much is known about most of Genghis's Khan's daughter. Like, in general, there's like six or seven of them. See, I thought he had a fuck ton of kids. Because I thought he like... like six or seven legitimate daughters. Okay. And then he has like five or six sons. And then there's, you know, other children that were probably more... He was he actually wasn't like a rapist. He very okay. much abhorred that. But, you know, he might have still consensually slept with people and his con- you know okay. conquests. But yeah, he had, he did. He had a fuck ton of kids. So, as I said, not much is known about his daughters in general. The most that we have are like short stories or like snippets and this is very much that. It's just a very like this is what this one chick did, which is very sad. In fact, like it's such a missing thing that there is a missing section of one of the books of his life. That so the book is called The Secret History of the Mongols, and there used to be a section that had to do with inheritance, and it started off with the line, Let us reward our female offspring. Okay. However, it's unclear as to whether it was left out by someone who was copying the original text, if it was an accident, if it wasn't. If it was no like, one really knows. Fuck daughters. They suck. Um, there is another book written by Jack Weatherford, which is called The Secret History of the Mongol Queens. Um, which opens with like a whole like chapter about this missing section of this other book. Um, we actually don't even know how many in wedlock daughters Genghis had or their names. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I saw a list of like seven, but there's probably a lot more. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think he married a lot of women throughout his life. Um, so, from what they think, Alakai probably mean is either. Siberian Marmot, which is like, I think like a region, or it means palm of the hand, which would actually be, make more sense because there's a story about Genghis Khan's birth that he came, he was birthed holding like a blood clot. Oh my God. So they're thinking maybe she was named palm of the hand, like in reference to that, to that super metal birthing. Right. And th- I mean, that's one of the reasons he was held as such a symbol, like of importance, apparently. But a lot of people think that that was maybe invented later to make him look better. I was going to say, like, how many babies pop out holding a blood clot? Right? Like, can they? No, is I don't think like so. A- <laughs> um, and then Becky, which is her last name, actually means princess. So it really well, it was more of a title than a last name. I don't I don't know if it didn't register the first time you said it, but you said, and Becky, her last name. Yeah, I, I was know. like, wait, I'm sorry, it's Becky? It's... it's- <laughs> Spelled B-E-K-H-I. Okay. So, yeah. So, as with a large number of historical texts and references to women, you know, way back when, 
Um, her history wasn't really written down until she was married, which is kind of typical. She was about the age of 16. She was a child, and then she became attached to a man. Exactly. And that's when we all started caring. Um, so she was about the age of 16. It was about 1206. And there's a region, um, so it went, like, the Mongol territories where Genghis Khan, like, ruled, you know, which was fairly large. And then there was the Gobi Desert, and then there was, like, an area of people called the Ungud. That's what I'm going with. It's O-N-G-U-D. And they were kind of on-again, off-again allies of Genghis Khan, and they attended his Kurultai, which is um, basically, like, a war conference. So it was, like... A political council, like the military councils, it was the Mongols, the Turks, the Khans, the chiefs, like they all kind of got together. So I'm calling it a war council. Okay. Um, it was like a meet and greet, you know? You, right, exactly. You this weekend, is who you're going to war with you against get away other from people. the family, you know, you get some time to really get with the guys and talk about how you're all going to kill each other. It's going to be exactly. great. It's great. So Alakwash was the king of the Ungood at this time, and he went to this war council and brought gifts and, like, you know, was like, yeah, we'll be your allies. So in return for their loyalty, Alakai was betrothed. It's not really sure who she was actually betrothed to. <laughs> um, they're not sure if it was Alakwash himself or the son or his son, um, but in the end, she was married to Alakwash. So she was married to the king of these people. Okay. And so she went south across the Gobi Desert to live with him in his town, uh, obviously. And so not only was she married off as, like, an alliance, she was also married because this was basically an advance guard for her father. And it was very common. He did that with almost all of his daughters, married him off to allies in strategic positions. And particularly, this one was a big deal because the Gobi Desert is huge. And back then, you know, you're traveling on horse or camel or whatever. It's treacherous. Yeah. You know, if you get to the other side and you're meaning to fight a war, that's not going to happen. You're going to be dehydrated, out of food, tired, sunburnt, like just trying to get there. It's not going to go well. It's going to defeat you. So having a town immediately on the other side of the Gobi Desert was a huge thing for them because then they had somewhere they could stop, water their camels, you know, like take a rest. And not immediately go to war. Okay, so but he so he's immediately got this tie to the strategic exactly. location. Exactly, he's like, you go marry them, and an I'll in. come visit when I'm you know conquering. They they roll up. Uh, I'm sorry, what are you doing here? Don't worry, my daughter's fucking the king. We good, right? <laughs> and so the words that she he actually sent her off with, and this is apparently verbatim. Um, I got this from rejected princesses, and so like when he he knows. So this was this was the verbatim of what. Genghis Khan said to her, quote, you should be determined to become one of my feet. When I am going on expedition, you should be my helper. When I am galloping, you should be my steed. So he, she's basically, he's basically like, yeah, you're going to help me conquer the world by marrying this guy and like being. You're a vehicle for my success. Exactly. And uh, other good life advice he gave her, you know, daddy dearest over here. Um, <laughs> he said, life, life is short, but fame is everlasting. No friend is better than than your own wise heart. No fer- ferocious enemy is worse than a resentful and wicked heart. Although many people can be your helper, no one should be closer to you than your own conscience. Which I think that's actually kind of good advice. I thought this was actually going to be like really dark. We no. were like, oh, daddy dearest. I'm like, actually, that's going to be the next like live, laugh, love rustic wall hanging in everyone's fucking home i refuse to get one of those simply because i'm like i feel like i'm signing up for something that i'm not ready for you're not ready for yes (laughs) did whenever her father or 
you know, invading Mongols came by, she would supply them with horses and provisions and a place to rest. However, she wasn't liked or welcomed in her new home. Oh, no. When they got married, one of the stipulations of her marriage that that Genghis like declared was that she would be this guy's only wife and all the other wives had to be dismissed which was not highly viewed like yes it was a strong political move but nobody really liked it because this civilization the ungood had been around longer than the mongols had and like they and- were a well-established civilization and Genghis is basically just like all right you're gonna just forget all your cultural values yeah. and take only my daughter I don't know why everyone was mad at her and not the king that agreed to this. Because but, you know, it's just she, easier. Probably. It, she, she's seen as the the hussy who's pushing everyone out. You know, oh, that foreigner slutty hussy exactly. with the magical vagina. What's so good about her that she's the only one? Anyway, yeah, like like one woman can satisfy a man. I there mean, come on, guys, this is ridiculous. <laughs> In twelve eleven, so about five years after their marriage, um, Genghis Khan went to go conquer Jurchum, like the people of Jurchum. I don't know if it was like a city or like a group of like tribes. I don't really know. I didn't really look into it. But basically, it went the Mongol Empire, the Gobi Desert, Ungood, where her, his daughter lived, and then Jurchum was on the other side. Okay. So, you know, he probably stopped to see his daughter and then went on a conquering. This is like that layered casserole in exactly. Friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> which layer is the turkey and then which is the whipped cream? <laughs> exactly. Um, so he went off to do that. And at this time, the Ungood decided, hey, we don't like being under Genghis Khan or his daughter. So they revolted and um, killed their king and tried to kill Alakai, but she managed to escape with two of her stepsons and run to daddy. Shit. Daddy was not happy. I bet. You don't want to piss off Genghis Khan. No, he wanted to kill all of them. Yep. And and though he he planned on a widespread massacre, at least of the males, like that's what they know for sure, if not full genocide of like the entire people. He knows who's in charge, guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> Alakai persuaded him to only punish the assassins and their families. So the people directly responsible. Exactly. Cool. Um, if you want to see a really funny illustration of this, um, go check out Rejected Princesses because this panel is really funny because like Genghis Khan is like, can I do this? Can I do that? And it's it's other horrible things that he did to other civilizations behind yep. Alakai is projected as going dad 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 <laughs> dad dad I I'm also pissed by you're here I need you down it's here it's just really right? funny <laughs> so yeah somehow she managed to stop genocide um cool but cool. the dad the dad you know Genghis did go in and kind of quell this rebellion and she was able to go back and rule them with her stepsons so now it's because, you know, she took the stepsons basically as a, I still have the rightful heirs to the throne, guys. Right. right. I, I love this. though. they're pissed at her. So they kill the king who married her. She gets away and then her daddy kills a bunch of people and then right. she comes back. So basically they put themselves in the position. Man, the one who he really hated is now ruling us. Shit. Exactly. And the interesting thing about this. So, yeah, Alakai did go back, like I said, to continue ruling them and the ungood actually managed to survive as their own nation because Alakai was the ruler Genghis never like took them over so they were actually their own nation and they're the foot in the door they're the only nation that rebelled and managed to survive on their own and not just get decimated and taken by the Mongol Empire because Alakai was like dad calm down (laughs) um yeah so that's super cool so after she 
came back and ruined it. She actually married one of her stepsons because obviously how else is she going to take control of the throne? That's also what you did back then. We don't like it, but it was right. the facts. So she married her one stepson, Jingu, um, and she had a child with him, Negude. And who knows what the age difference was? There's a good chance that she was closer to the age of her stepson <laughs> than the original so guy true. she married. I am actually just saying. I'm working on research for next week, and there's a 30-year age oh, yeah. gap oh, between yeah. a don't between worry. a couple and i'm like ew um, so she went on to rule them peacefully for 20 years maybe no one no one actually knows no one actually knows 20 is there's, a good there's more on that later um but genghis um actually did go on to conquer jerkin the guy the where he was going before his daughter was like dad i need your help um, okay um however when they got conquered their leaders just kind of were like fuck this shit and picked up and moved further south he still was their ruler, but, you know, they were trying to get, like, as far from the Mongol Empire as they could. So he was just like, fine, my daughter is just going to rule over you then because she's closer. Ah. Um, she was, in addition to that, she was also left in charge of other, t- like, Chinese territories that her father had conquered when he drew back to Mongolia in 1215. So basically he was just like, you can be in charge. I'm going back to Mongolia. Probably to do other things. Yeah, go chill. At this time, he also gave her the title Princess Who Runs the State. Which is a huge thing. Yeah. And she would go on to regularly dispatch troops to aid her father in his campaigns. In 1225, her husband at the time, Jenggu, died and she married Bayohi, which was the other stepson. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, and then, her, unfortunately, her son went on to die in, the, in, 20, in 1230. So now she doesn't have an heir. Aww. However, she did go on to promote the interests of her husband's other children and still, like, worked on arranging marriage and, like, kind of uniting different clans in the area so that they would still have power. She also promoted literacy, and according to a Chinese envoy, she would read daily, and she tended to read medicine and religious texts. Like, that was what interested her. So, as I said, no one really knows how long she ruled for. No one is even quite sure when or how she died. That's because she's not actually dead, you yeah, guys. Right. I'm starting the conspiracy theory. She is immortal. Yeah. We do know that by 1253, her nephew was ruling those lands, but that still doesn't necessarily mean she was dead. She could have just been really old and really over it. I mean, she would have been 60. That's really old for that time, yeah, that though. Is. So she was probably dead, but yeah. So that was Alakai. That's one of Genghis Khan's daughters. Go Alakai. Alakai Becky. Yeah, right. So now I'm going to talk about Terenji Khatun. Terenji Khatun. This is another rejected princess. All right. Um, I don't, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. This has a weird umlaut, so I'm probably pronouncing her first name completely wrong. So Terenji was born in the Naman tribe, and her first husband was a member of the Marrakech clan. She was kind of almost like basically like a slave to this clan. It was not a good thing. Oh. But some sources state that her husband's name was Kudu or possibly Dair Usun of the Marrakech. No one, no one even knows who she was married to. Um, however, Genghis Khan, yes, he features prominently in both stories. I was going to say, <laughs> That's like, the what? connection. Okay. Um, so when Genghis Khan co- conquered the Marrakets in 1204, and she, he conquered them because like 20 years earlier they had kidnapped his wife and he was still angry about That's it. That's right. That's another funny one. Like, <laughs> was it, That was his first wife, right? Who was, mm-hmm. um, shit, I'm already forgetting her name, Becky. yes becky's mom but no like in the comic it's like he's like stabbing someone and he's like you killed my wife and the person's like but that was 20 years ago and he's like i'm still killing you because of it it was just really funny (laughs) um 
So when he conquered the people, because she, I don't know if she was important or maybe she was just pretty. I don't really know. But he went on to give Taraje to Ogadai, who was his, as his second son, so, or as his second wife. So Ogadai was already married and she was given him as his second wife. So Genghis Khan gave Taraje. Yep. Uh, to, to his, his third, son third son as his as second a wife. Bonus wife. Yep. Okay. Even though he was like, my daughter can only be the only wife, but my sons get as many fucking exactly. wives as they want. Um, so Ogadai's first wife was named Borakshin, and she had no sons. After they were married, Toranje, I don't know how I'm going to pronounce her name now. Turan- Let's say just Toranje. Sure. Gave birth to five sons. Damn. So the other Turanje. one had none. She had five. Um, so she went on to eclipse all of his other wives. So she was a second, but a, he had more than that. I didn't look up how many. But I she care. pumped up the most babies. But, well, yeah, and she was just, she was amazing and kind of brutal, to be honest. Oh, okay. um, but she gradually went on to not only be his favorite wife, but she also just inc- increased her influence among the court in general. So she wasn't just winning her husband's favor. She was kind of like gathering everyone to her side. However, the, she didn't really like his officials and because they had a, this policy of centralizing the administration and lowering tax burdens. Apparently, she didn't like that and she didn't like them. So that was a thing. However, in response, she sponsored the reprinting of the Taoist canon in North China. So she was just like, you know what? I'm just going to go and promote other beliefs and you can just do your thing and be wrong. Oh, OK. So she's like, I'm not going to directly oppose you, but I'm going to tell everyone else about this other stuff that says you're full of shit. Exactly. So that has nothing to do with you. Exactly. Just being me. So obviously <laughs> when they were married, Taraje never thought her husband would amount to much. As Genghis Khan's third son, he's not really in line to the throne. Yeah, no one, he's just bonus. Right? Um, he's the bonus so, Jonas. Exactly. <laughs> so he decided to do something with his life, and that was to become the biggest alcoholic he could possibly become. Super fun. As the story goes, his brother, Chaghatai, sent a physician to warn him off drinking, and, you know, to be like, you're going to die. Um, and when he was told that he was limited to one cup a day, he made it a large cup. So basically those like memes you see, this guy was the original the one, I'm just giant one, one glass, cup. Yeah. And it's like a kiddie pool full of wine. Exactly. So this was, <laughs> he was the like original. That's um, fucking funny. Or when they tie, when they screw the glass into exactly, the, bottle the bottle itself. Yeah. Oh, um, so, you know, obviously this may or may not be true. Either way, he was known to be quite the alcoholic. Like it was bad. Yeah. His his liver was the size of a kumquat. The interesting thing, aside from Genghis, who wasn't a drinker, most of the male Mongol leaders were. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that Genghis Khan wasn't. And yet we remember who Sub he was. Subnote of Genghis Khan. <laughs> so the situation changed for the family when the family had trouble deciding on who would actually take the throne. And this is while Genghis Khan is still alive. Mm-hmm. So Jochi, uh, who is the first son, was possibly not Genghis Khan's biological son. Oh. No one was actually sure. So him taking the throne was highly disputed. Chagati, who I mentioned, was the second son. Um, and so his claim was disputed just because he was the second son. Because that was a thing. Well, this son may not be real. Regardless, this one comes after exactly. the maybe not real So the son, compromise so was to put Ogadai on the throne because everyone really liked him. That was it. That was it. Because everyone really liked. And like I said, this was. I have a drink with this guy. This was decided like in Genghis Khan's presence. So like he obviously okayed it. That it was probably. I wonder if it was more of like a you guys have to make a decision so that when I'm dead, my empire doesn't fall apart. 
because that's you're all my guess. bitching. You know, um, I mean, honestly, that's really smart because how many lineages have fallen because there was all this post exactly. Well, I think this person. I don't know if this person is really me, 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 and then everyone right. just dies. However, I think they should have gotten with one of the other two because, as expected of an alcoholic. This guy was a super shitty leader. Yeah. Um, he would squander. He was not high functioning. No. He would squander the wealth of his father. Because obviously, you know, Genghis Khan built this huge empire. He would trample over the moral code that was in place. Because like I said, Genghis Khan actually had a fairly strict moral code. Like, raping was not a thing. He it, Some of the shit he put forth was pretty progressive and I mean, for he, his when position When he was time. like genociding people, he was fucking brutal. But yeah. he didn't condone rape. He, like I said, he didn't drink. Like, so it's like on certain sides, he was terrible. And on other sides, it was like, oh, that's actually really nice. But his son was not like that. Like, he did terrible, terrible war crimes. Like, real bad. I'm not even going to get into it, but it was bad. Um, And he kind of just stretched his military everywhere. He was just kind of like, okay, you're going to go there and you're going to. And it was bad. It was bad. And of course, this whole time he's also drinking because why would he stop? You know, this is why you don't make your drinking buddy ruler of entire people. You right? start a podcast with them instead. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> as time went on, he grew bored and progressively more terrible. Super. So Tarange picked up the slack. She would go on to reform that ta- tax collection, which she didn't like from her husband anyways. Nice. And even took the title of empress during her husband's lifetime, which suspiciously wouldn't go on to last much longer. Uh, within oh. a year, he died of quote unquote alcohol poisoning. You know, normally when we hear something like that, I'm like, that dude was murdered. But in this case, I'm like, man, it really could have gone either way. It was a toss of the fucking coin. Like, it could have even been so. He's like, I think I'm done. And they're like, no. Some people say that she just kind of, he really did die of alcohol poisoning, but she just kind of like assisted it by like bringing him a lot of alcohol. Exactly. As a good wife should, you know. Anyways, so soon after Ogadai died in 1241, first the power passed to one of Genghis Khan's like former wives that was and one of Ogadai's widows like someone that was not Taraje it was this other woman that used to be one of Genghis Khan's wives I'm sorry so Genghis Khan and one of his sons shared a wife yeah that's not uncommon okay <laughs> however Chagatai which was that second son and his sons support well god I'm sorry supported Taraje and so Taranje went on to take over. Like, basically, she just outmaneuvered this other chick and assumed complete power as regent in 1242. She was named the Great Katun, and she dismissed immediately, like, all of her husband's ministers and replaced them with her own, the most important of whom was another woman named Fatima. Wow. Which is a name some people have heard before. She was a captive from the a Middle Eastern campaign. So she, you know, she was also a slave. She was also formerly like a Taranje. slave. Exactly. And so like they knew. And yeah, so she did real well. However, Fatima's not highly regarded among historians. Inclu- uh, one historian named John Mann referred to her as a female Rasputin. Oh, so she's she's not well liked. Can I just say though the name John Mann? I know right? sounds like not Made real. Up. Like like if I like if I was a dude and gave that name to the cops, they'd be like bullshit. Exactly. <laughs> it's like saying John Doe. Yeah. Um, so no one knows what was the two d- women's deals. They don't they don't know if they were lovers. They don't know if you know like if they were just friends. Herstory headcanon, they were lovers. Sure, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, I have another history head coming coming up, so that's fine. Um, we'll just have two in one story. Um. In Rejected Princesses, he definitely, like, slants it more toward them being lovers because, like, they they do, there are historical accounts of people saying, like, oh, she was her 
closest confidant and always had access to her tent and however we hear this stuff like as code for they were romantically or sexually involved all the time so I'm not I'm totally comfortable just saying yeah exactly so Jack Weatherford who I mentioned in the first story the author of the secret history of Mongol Queen so obviously the uh, Tarange was in there too um, he said he was uh, unable to find any direct evidence of a romantic relationship between the two but that it's unclear what might constitute direct evidence for that time period because he pointed out that the Mongolian language lacked any words for homosexual relationships until recently. Okay, so so they maybe they weren't even trying to hide it, but just they didn't have the words yeah, to describe exactly. it because it was just, no, no, it's just like if a, a man and a woman are together, they're just, you know, their closest confidant, you know, they always have a, exactly. know, access to the tent. You, we all you never know what know. that means, right? <laughs> exactly. So Taraji was was an exercise of power in a society that was traditionally led by men. Like, obviously. Um, she managed to somehow balance the various competing powers within the empire and kind of actually united a few and, like, extended the family of descendants over Genghis Khan. Over the five-year period in which she ruled, she didn't put any of her sons in positions of power, but she did set the stage for her son, Gyuk, to take over for her. Like, she was like, you're not going to be one of my ministers, but I'll still set you up to take the, to take yeah. the throne. So, during her reign, foreign dignitaries arrived from, like, all over the Mongol Empire. Because, one, the Mongol Empire was actually huge by the time yeah. Genghis Khan died. And, yeah, so, like... People came from Turkey, from Baghdad, from Georgia. Uh, someone actually came from Europe. Damn. Uh, the person that came from Europe, I'm guessing specifically Russia. And I say that because his name was Grand Prince Yaroslav Vesolodovich of Vladimir and Suzdal. I'm going with Russian. Yeah. That general um, And area. he actually <laughs> suspiciously went on to die just after dining with Taranje. Oh, my God. Soon. I'm picking up on a pattern. As I kind of mentioned, the Mongols practiced polygamy, and Ogadai Khan's favorite son was Kochu and um, through another wife, so he wasn't Taranje's child. So originally, Ogadai had named Kochu to take over after him, mm-hmm. um, and obviously Taranje did instead. And so Taranje was spent most of her five years putting him down and bringing her other son up, Gayuk that I mentioned, mm-hmm. and dis- like so she would go on to kind of like do this through cunning when the lesser like when the lesser cons appointed her regent after her husband's death she went on to appoint the ones that supported her in high positions of power you know various imperial households and whatnot um and she did that so that you know she could use them to kind of influence everybody else however one of Genghis Khan's brothers actually rose up against them as well. His name was Tamuji, and he was the youngest brother of Genghis Khan and gathered men and tried to seize the throne. Um, however, Gayuk actually went to meet him, and when his uncle saw him, he basically was just like, mm, never mind, and like just turned around and was oh, like, never shit. mind, and would not fight him. So that kind of elevated Gayuk even more because they were like, clearly he's fierce in battle. Like, even mm-hmm. his uncle doesn't want to like you know step to step him. to him exactly and so what Taranje did is she managed to keep another war council from happening until she got Gayuk elected to be like Kun or Khan so she was basically like nope no war councils shut up stop go away <laughs> once Gayuk got elected in 1246 she was like great you're king 
I'm out. Like, and she did. She retired to the West um, in one of Ogadai's old palaces. No one knows if Fatima went with her, although eventually they did shelter together. I, her story had Cameron that they definitely just like went West together and retired together peacefully to, to for just a while. love each other exactly. and be a romantic lesbian couple. So despite her role in insu- ensuring her son's election, um, the relationship between mo- mother and son eventually just soured like oh. real bad. One of Guyuk's brothers, Coden, accused Fatima of witchcraft that caused him to have poor health. And then when Coden died a few months later, Guyuk insisted that his mother hand Fatima over for execution. Oh, sh- so so I see the Rasputin kind of right. connection He wanted there. Fatima to confess to the death of Coden and that she bewitched his mother. So she was like, clearly he's a witch. She did something to you, like hand her over. Also, if we're if we're sticking to the Hursery head canon, and uh, honestly, this isn't just us making it up. It seems like there's a lot of evidence to suggest they were right. a couple. People can't say it 100 percent because there's no like it's so just, it wasn't a thing. Back we don't even then. know when the last lady died exactly. or if she's dead. For God's exactly. sake, exactly. But this this comes off as kind of homophobic. Like no oh, yeah. wonder they, they don't like did. her because there's this slave. Or former slave yeah. who has all this influence on Power, the queen exactly. who's and ruling. They're just like, you're clearly and a they're witch. fucking. Exactly. And yeah. So Tarange, when her you know, her son was like, hey, you need to hand her over, said, um, you know, if fuck off. <laughs> no, said that she would commit suicide despite him if they took Fatima. However, Gayuk's men went and seized Fatima anyways. Aww. You might want to skip like 15 seconds ahead if you don't like terrible, terrible things. Um, so Fatima was tortured into a confession of witchcraft against both Taranje and Coden. So like, familiar. you know, they got her to admit it after that because of because of a prohibition of spilling noble blood in the court. She was viewed as noble because of her status. Mm-hmm. Um, she was this is the bad part. She mm. was put to death by sewing up all of her orifices, wrapping her in like a rug, essentially, and dumping her into the water to drown. Everything on my body yeah. feels like it just got hit with a car um, door. So like, it's in, gross. I hate it. In addition to that, Taranje's other supporters in the imperial court were purged, and within 18 months of Fatima's death, Taranje herself died under still unexplained circumstances. Uh, so yeah, those were my Mongol mavens that had two very different lives. I almost wish you would like swap them because that I know I should have a bummer. But that's you know hopefully yours is the upper. You know I think I actually thought about covering the that second story because I found them on rejected princesses, but I think when I was looking into that I was like yeah I don't it's know a lot I'm ready for all. Well, of this. I, I debated covering it during maybe like Pride Month, um, either that or even Halloween because it's a little darker. Yeah, but then I was just like. Eh. I'll just cover her now. Well, those two stories are definitely connected. And the first one helped me better kind of understand the world in which the second one right. was taking place. So that yeah. was that was good. Thank you for sharing that horrible, horrible thing with You're me. You're welcome. Now we all get to feel bad. <laughs> and now you get to talk. Right. All yeah. right. My story is uh, a little. I mean, no one gets sewn up and murdered. Oh, uh, that's good. That's so. good. That's, you know, the better. Comparatively, it's an upper. So I am covering Soraya Tarzi. Who was the queen of Afghanistan? There we go. We're getting all the queens. Right? Like, we had this, like, 
foreign royalty thing going on. And I, I realize we haven't covered it. I don't think we've covered a lot of people from the Middle East outside of like Right, Egypt? that's why I thought the Mongols would be good. Yeah, yeah, I don't think we've covered uh, I mean, they were like Mongols yet either. Most of the Middle East for yeah. a good chunk of time. But so this was actually, I love this story because it was such a great insight into what was yeah. going on in the, the country at that time. Don't waste the wine. Don't let it leak. When I first picked it up, because it's sparkling, it like blew up all over. Me. Oh no! So, go ahead and talk. I'm just gonna grab a paper towel. Okay. So Soraya Tarzi was born on November 24th, 1899, in Damascus, Syria, which was a part of the Ottoman Empire at the time. Which I always forget didn't fall that long ago. Like they fought in World War One, guys. Time. You think time means nothing now with quarantine? Time never meant anything. Her father and her grandfather were important political figures, and her mother was the daughter of a sheik and religious leader. So Sarai was afforded a good education where she learned Western and progressive values. So That's like good. her family was kind yeah. of a big deal. Originally, Sarai's family had come from Afghanistan, uh, but they had been exiled for promoting the country's modernization. Yay. So they were really progressive, yeah. and they're like kind of going against their traditional values, and then everyone was like, Get the fuck out. Right? They were like, okay, you're too progressive. Yeah, too much. Which will be a theme throughout this story. In October of 1901, Habibullah Khan became king of Afghanistan and decreed that Afghans previously exiled, like Soraya's family, could return. Particularly, oh, nice. like, I think if they were exiled for, like, you know, you're too progressive. Right. He was like, okay, we'll try and make, Af you know, Afghanistan more progressive so you guys can come back. Yeah. Uh, upon returning to Afghanistan, the Tarzis were received in the royal court. It was here that Soraya met King Habibullah's son, Amanullah Khan, who was also progressively minded. Apparently, he had this habit of, like, dressing as an average Joe and roaming the marketplaces like Jasmine so he was from like Aladdin. Aladdin. Yes. <laughs> Except Aladdin, Aladdin well, he legit was, Jasmine, was a street person. Yeah. So he was Jasmine. Uh, Soraya was Aladdin. Clearly. Loving it. But he would, like, chat with the people yeah, in the marketplace to get their unbiased yeah. opinions. Be like, so what do you think of the king? Like, how do you think he could improve? No pressure. I mean, I guess as long as he wasn't the type that would, like, get their impressions and then if they were bad, he would, like, kill them. Yeah. He, that, that would not be okay. He was not secret policing okay, this. Good. He was just, like, on the DL. He was like, what can we do better? Yeah. The two hit it off and got married on August 30th, 1913. Traditionally, kings would have multiple wives, but Amanullah broke centuries of tradition Aww. by making Soraya his only wife. Aww. I did find some stuff. There was like some light speculation on other wives and shit like that, but it was such a small footnote and it was all like, maybe. maybe. So yeah. I was like, uh, fuck it. I'm mentioning it, but it, I'm not bringing it into the story because that's literally all I have. Right. Maybe. A side note. <laughs> In 1919, Amanullah became emir or ruler. However, I found like, so in 1926, he straight up became king. I know emir means ruler. Maybe it's so, like, I don't know if he was like regent. Re That's what I was kind of thinking. So, kind of like how um, Taraje became empress, but really her husband was still in charge. So, like, right. I think in that case, it was also more regent. And I found that reference like, he became emir and subsequently king. In a yeah, bunch so I of bet places. it was like a re a regent, and then yeah, king. like the the king was maybe getting ready to retire. He was getting older. Right. And he's like, okay, we're gonna give you more responsibility. Yeah, I think that would make sense. I seriously tried to find like how Af Af Afghani royal hierarchy right. goes, but I I didn't find. I was like, okay, Genghis Khan, and then this other person took over, <laughs> and that was good enough. 
Regardless, Amanula is running the show, and Soraya subsequently became queen. Yay. Traditionally. <laughs> okay, you know the rules. Read it all out loud for the class. Um, a package got left at our house because it's dinner. Ah. Well, Ch- that's good news, at least. Chinese food. Ooh, yum. Traditionally, the queen was just kind of there. You know, she was more of a figurehead. She was there to pump out some babies and some yeah, heirs right? and that kind of thing. As, as one does. And she also was not the only one. The funny thing about queens is they're not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, Soraya played an important and active role in Amanullah's reign. Both were adamant about modernizing the country, and the first task on the docket was to declare independence for Britain. Yes, at this time, Afghanistan was still under British control. And this is a very brief summary of that whole thing, so do not expect this to be accurate, and I'm glossing over a lot. The British had been fighting for control of Afghanistan since 1839 during the First Anglo-Afghan War. The British lost the first one, but won the Second Anglo-Afghan War, uh, securing control of Afghanistan's foreign affairs. So they were still able to have a monarchy, but British kind of controlled them on the global stage, and there was some other shit going on. Right. However... In 1919, Amanullah declared independence and started the Third Anglo-Afghan War because these things come in threes. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Third time's the charm. Three and sevens. This time, Afghanistan won their independence in 1921. Fun note, Afghan Independence Day is celebrated on August 19th, and they just celebrated their 100 years. Yay! Because it was 1919 when they declared independence. So, yeah. Congratulations, Afghanistan. That's awesome. We love you. This victory made Amanullah and Soraya extremely popular, but they were not done. The royal couple were determined to modernize the country, and they started with a number of progressive reforms, including, brace yourselves for bullet points, abolishing slavery. Yay. Outlawing torture. Yay. Banning child marriage. Yay. Banning polygamy, which was, again, huge because he was the first king to have only one wife. Yeah, right. That had to be a real big one. Yeah. Uh, making burqas optional rather Ooh. than compulsory. Like you can wear I feel it if like you they want. Went backwards on that one. I get into that. I guess a I bit. don't know about Afghanistan, but I know like a lot of other Middle Eastern countries are still pretty strict on that. I get into that. Okay. It it actually is kind of a bummer. But so he's making them optional. He's not saying you can't wear them, but he's like you don't fucking have, you don't to. have to. Like it's your choice, which is great because that's what feminism's all about. This one's not me, guys. Oh shit. God, fucking telemarketers. I also didn't silence my phone. I'm a bad co-host. That's okay, because we're both bad hosts. Yay. Okay. Uh, all religions are accepted. Awesome. Uh, and he's That's huge, actually. And he strictly limited bride prices to 29 rupees rather than tens of thousands of rupees, making it harder to straight up purchase women. So a bride par- price was basically like, let's take your husband. He wants to marry you. And your family's like, I don't know. And he's like, I'll give you $10,000 for your daughter. This has become a financial exchange. Right. And your family's it's kinda like, like back when cool. they were like, I'll give you three chickens. And then the other guy was like, I'll give you three cows. And they're like, you're marrying the guy that's given us three cows. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, it wasn't just money. It was also like goods and yeah, livestock exactly. and that kind of thing. So he didn't ban it, but he limited it. So there's not as much motivation. Like if your family super doesn't like that guy, 29 rupees is probably not going to change their mind right exactly but like hey you guys seem like a good fit you're into each other and i get 29 rupees that's cool whatever and he also allowed citizens to charge officials with corruption 
All of these new, uh, new ideas were outlined in the Book of Order. In it, Amanula argued that secular laws were more important than religious laws. Like, you know, religious laws only apply if you believe in that, and we're leaving out a whole big group of people. Right. However, he also v- was able to validate all of his points using religious scripture. He's like, hey, guys, we should be more secular, but also I can use the Quran to justify every single thing I'm doing. So you can't even say I'm right, not exactly. religious or I'm like being a blasphemous asshole. Like you can't. He was he was very well educated, like both like politically, in literature, religion, like he was a smart dude. But one of the most mind-blowing things that Amanula did was prioritize female education, even making Soraya the minister of education. Ooh, that's huge. He said, I am your king, but the minister of education is my wife, your queen. Mic drop, if they had mics. Bitch! (laughs) As, uh, As minister of education, Soraya opened the first school for girls in Kabul, or Kabul, I heard it pronounced both ways. I actually checked with Jared and he said Kabul, which is how I used to say it. I think that's right. I think Kabul is kind of like our bastardized Like our Americanized. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Please let me know and then I will know for the future. It's okay. Everyone's going to tear me a new one on that person's name probably. It's okay. They don't know how it's pronounced either. (laughs) So uh, she opened up the first school for girls in Kabul and sent 15 young women to receive a higher education in Turkey in 1928. She also founded the first magazine for women called Urshad-e-Nizwan, or Guidance for Women. Again, sorry for pronunciations, guys. Uh, this immediately made me think of Noe Ito and her women's magazine. And I'm like, in my head, they're basically like the same thing. They're talking about women's rights, women's issues, you know, probably maybe some women's sexuality in there. Like, I don't know, but it's awesome. Even though Soraya ruled long before the Gulabi gang, they were definitely on the same wavelength. If you don't know who the Gulabi gang is, listen to last week's episode. It's amazing. Bamboo beaten on rapists. Love it. Because Soraya also created an all-female secret service to help enforce the law in 1927. So these women would check in on women who were rumored or had been reported like that they were being abused and helped enforce the law against the abusers. I didn't find anything about them wielding bamboo sticks. Maybe there was some kind of stick. I don't know. You know, Hursery headcanon rapists were getting beat up. It was (laughs) awesome. Uh, To further protect women, Soraya created a court to hear women's grievances, which mostly came from abused women who wanted divorces. Because, you know, you marry a man and you are his property. And if you want out, well, he has to want you gone. And then you're fucked regardless. Like, either you stay and you're miserable or he gets rid of you and you have nothing. Right. Or they kill you. And you're like a tarnished woman. That's sad. Yeah. And then they, you know, they just kill you. That's also option C. That's a thing. Ugh. C for crap. Anyway. Afghanistan was quickly modernizing with new power plants, a telephone system. Uh, They promoted journalism and science. Banned revenge killings. Great. And enacted women's suffrage. So they give women the right to vote. And they also guaranteed rights to women and minorities. So citing scripture, Amanullah said, quote, The prophet said all people are equal, men and women. Take his words to heart. Good. Which it 
it just makes me think of nowadays when people try to weaponize the Bible to say that homosexuality is wrong or you should die because you do this. And it's like, I'm sorry, didn't Jesus say, like, love thy neighbor? Whoever has not sinned, may you cast the first stone. And wasn't he also chilling with sex workers and lepers on the reg? Like, come on. So, fuck you. Yeah. Like, take his words to heart, people. Unfortunately, some of these advancements were a little too much too fast. Like, I'm reading this. I'm like, this is fantastic. But I'm also living in the year 2020 in the United States. And some of that stuff is even recent for us. I have a computer in my hand, you guys. Like, I'm all about just gimme, gimme, gimme now. I love you. So one of the examples was having newly p- paved roads was great, but there really wasn't a huge demand. Like, okay, we have, we've got this road. Where the fuck are we going? It was just a little too much too fast. There was also uh, to pay for all these advancements, taxes went up. And a lot of these advancements were occurring in metropolitan areas like Kabul. And so the rural conservative like farmers and people were not receiving some of the benefits, Mm. but they were getting taxed for it. And they're like, you're not that traditional and I'm not getting like a new movie theater, but I'm getting taxed for a movie, new movie theater. So fuck you. Okay, I basically just ad-libbed my next paragraph. Now, all these reforms sound fucking awesome. However, like with all change, there are people who aren't super into it. In this case, rural conservative areas of the country were none too happy and felt like their way of life and religious ideologies were being attacked. This resulted in the Coast Rebellion. Uh, The rebellion effectively shut down the country for two years. Amanullah was able to defeat the rebellion by enlisting the help of the British and Russians who were okay with helping because they were both still trying to figure out how to get Afghanistan under their thumb. So they were like, we don't really know what to do with you yet, but we'd rather deal with you than these rebels right now. Right. They're like, "Mm." yeah, like you'll owe us. You know, we're doing you a solid. In celebration of the victory, Amanullah erected an obelisk dubbed the minaret of the triumph of knowledge over ignorance. <laughs> what? Which I love that because one, it's so long. It's it's kind of cocky and it's like a little aggressive. Like a I'm little, in, yeah. Like I'm kind of into it, but I can see how it comes off as like dickish maybe. Maybe. But at the same time, he's not entirely wrong. In 1926, at the 7th Independence Day, Soraya gave a public speech, which was highly unusual. She said, quote, it, referring to independence, belongs to all of us, and that is why we celebrate it. Do you think, however, that our nation from the outset needs only men to serve it? Women should also take their part as women did in the early years of our nation and Islam. For their examples, we must, sorry, from their examples, we must learn that we must all contribute towards the development of our nation and that this cannot be done without being equipped with knowledge. So we should all attempt to acquire as much knowledge as possible in order that we may render our services to society in the manner of the women of early Islam. So she's like, knowledge is power, schoolhouse rock, and women need to be engaged and women are part of the solution. We can't cut out half the population and expect us to make any progress. Right. No, I agree. Soraya was all about breaking the rules. She appeared in public with Amanullah, which was previously unheard of. She also traveled with him as they toured the world to gain international allies. So Soraya's going on tour, y'all. Get your tics. 
No, I can't. I, I love the idea of shortening words to make them jazzy, but ticks is already a word and it's unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Get your tickets. They were welcomed by the British and Russians who, again, were trying to figure Aww. out how to get Afghanistan under their control. Yep. Uh, so while in Britain, Soraya and her husband received honorary degrees from Oxford University, and Soraya gave a speech to a group of students and leaders. So she's going around. She's spreading yeah. the good word. Soraya also impressed the British when she showed off her shooting prow- prowess at an arms Ooh. factory and uh, in a clay pigeon shooting competition. You know, I that vaguely sounds familiar. An Afghan, Afghani queen yeah, shooting Yeah, I don't pigeons. like, or at least the part, like, yeah, about a queen from a different country, like, showing off their shooting prowess. Hmm. I mean, you may Anyways, have heard no, of her. Yeah. She, she, I mean, she's still, like, a, a real, uh, her and, and her husband are still highly recognized figures in Afghanistan's history and global history. It's just, you know, we didn't learn about them in our upbringing because honestly, I was 10 years old when I learned where Afghanistan was on a map. Like yeah. I did not get to that unit in school. And the only reason we even started talking about the Middle East was because of September 11th. And that's when all of a sudden everyone's quizzing us on all the countries like in that region and this and that. And it's all still a fucking blur, man. I still don't know anything. In Russia, Soraya also proved to be keen at sniffing out spies. While in a cafe with her husband, they were having a conversation in Persian, also known as Dari in Afghanistan. Interesting. Um, in So I found Soraya on Rejected Princesses, and in the comments there was some- This is the Rejected Princesses episode. This is. I've been using, I've been using his site a lot because it's so much fun. I feel like we need to send so him an email fun. and we be do. like, we love you. Like, like just a, hey, Thanks. you're amazing. Thank you. But uh, I found some debate in the comments of, like, what language that might have been. But there was a book written about her in this time that does refer to it as Persian. So I'm just covering my bases. Uh, And Soraya picked up on the fact that the Russian waiter was actually a spy. An excerpt from Fire in Afghanistan, 1914 to 1928. The first opening to the West undone by tribal ferocity years before the Taliban. Jesus. (laughs) By Rhea Tally Stewart. She, she lays it all out. There's no questions about what yeah. this book is going to tell She's me. like, you don't even have to guess. This yes. is it. Like, here's my thesis statement. So from the book, quote, once as he was serving tea, Soraya said in Persian to Amanula, quote, this tea seems cold to me. He was on the point of blurting out, excuse me, it is boiling when he saw that Amanula was looking at him. And he stopped just in time. So she was bitching about the tea. And he's like, bitch, this tea is hot. But that would have revealed that he knew what she was saying in Persian. Right. Which, I don't know. I had some, like, Avatar Last Airbender vibes when, like, Iroh heats his tea. And that's how Jet knows he's a firebender. So right. I don't know. I'm like, tea, spies, intrigue. It's the same. It's <laughs> everything. While touring, Soraya didn't wear a veil. She usually wore, you know, those like little bucket hats that were really popular in the 20s. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I don't she, she wore called, a lot of those. I, I, call, I have one, but I call them bucket hats. So while touring, Soraya didn't wear a veil. Uh, she also interacted with foreign men, had her hand kissed by oh. leaders of different countries, and generally did things that we would not think anything of. No, but they would. And they but were, were highly yeah. unusual for the Queen of Afghanistan. I mean, it's kind slut. of like it's just kind of like there are certain things that are expected of the Queen of England. Yeah, like there are certain things you don't do. Well, and it's like you and go there's visit certain the things Pope, you wear are, a veil. Exactly, like there's you know, it, 
set standards and she's breaking them. Exactly. Images of these events were circulated uh, potentially by the British government back in Afghanistan. And some Im- images may have even been edited by the British oh, to make God her damn. look like she was showing more skin than she was. Yeah. So they like photoshopped like her arms and like cleavage and stuff. I don't know. This is a whole conspiracy theory. No one is 100% certain, certain how much the British interfered or if they interfered. Right. But let's all be honest. Like, we're all they in our shit. Like, even the United States, we're in everyone's shit. Like, this is not the wildest conspiracy theory what I, I would have ever heard. What my favorite saying? They have their fingers in all the pies. Yeah. But either way, like, I, I think it was maybe definite that they were circulating the images because they knew it would cause a reaction. But as far as, like, the photoshopping yeah, is no kind one of really knows. So seeing Soraya veilless, interacting with strange men and uncovered, really pissed off conservative Muslim leaders in Afghanistan. They saw her as betraying their culture, religion, and honor, which is sad. It's and sad, but I also kind of get it. Like, because when you were saying that, I was like, oh, that's not going to no, 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 and I understand that, but I, I have similar feelings uh, about this as I do when really conservative Christians are telling women how to dress or how to use their right. bodies. So this is not like boo on the Muslims or boo. I'm like any kind of like I'm not very religious, so any kind of um, conservative religious ideology just rubs me the wrong way because I'm I'm all about choice and I hate the idea that like oh you're demonizing someone well, why like it doesn't make sense and it's also like so subjective because you can have someone that's you know severe strict catholic but then you know the the things about like not living together before you're married or you know all the like mixed fabrics or like oh yeah oh don't have a tattoo i we i actually I need someone ages ago. I'm speaking of someone in particular when I'm saying these things. Yeah. I I was going to say, I think we're thinking of the same person and the same set of stories, which will go unnamed. But yeah, there's some hypocrisy in there. So like extreme religious beliefs rub me the wrong way. And I just hate that she's being judged on these standards when it's really... There's nothing wrong with making these choices. She's not hurting anyone. She's not doing anything wrong. You know, it doesn't align with your beliefs. Right. But and here's the thing. I totally understand why people felt this way. I totally understand where it's coming from. And I'm not surprised in the least. But my 2020 modern sensibilities are I'm just like, that's that's too bad. Right. I want to uh, <laughs> I literally have a line. I want to remind everyone that there's nothing wrong with wearing a veil or other religious or modesty garment. Not at all. Or with choosing not to wear one. It's no. all about choice. And unfortunately, Soraya's choice was not being respected here. Right. So there. <laughs> when I was writing my Final notes, word. I knew this conversation would happen and I wrote a thing. <laughs> Soraya's uh, apparently inexcusable behavior really tipped the scales with a with the public, and they were already fed up with Amanullah's progressive reforms. You know, like educating women right. and outlawing slavery—that bullshit. You know, normal human decency <laughs> stuff. Rumors began to circulate about Soraya and Amanullah, like Soraya wasn't actually Afghani, though she was born in Syria. She was Afghani because remember her family had been exiled from Afghanistan. Right. Things. Also, that the government was going to murder the elderly to make soap out of them to sell to Europeans, as one does. Yeah, of This course. is a real fucking rumor. So I just want to say, I know 2020 has been crazy, but if anyone starts saying that we are selling the bodies of the elderly who, like, died from COVID and making them into soap to sell to Europe, 
the shit has been done and it should sound just as crazy now as it should have sounded then. Like, guys, (laughs) nipping this conspiracy in the butt. We're not doing it. It's not a thing, guys. Next week, I swear to God, like, Death Panel Soap Factory is going to be trending on Twitter and I'm going to be bashing my head into a wall. These rumors may have been exacerbated or even started by Britain. Again, conspiracy. I don't want to lean too heavily on blaming Britain, though, because they firmly deny it and there's apparently no proof. But they're no stranger to interfering with international affairs. Not singling out Britain here, guys. I know. Literally all major world powers do it. Like, and I live in a glass house. I'm not throwing stones. I'm just stating things. Upon returning home, Amanula, spurred by his tour of Europe and exposure to more modern ideals, continued with his progressive reforms. However, uh, if people thought he was moving too fast before, he was certainly now moving at hyper speed. While some of his reforms sound awesome, like separation of church and state, which, again, I've always been very much for, creating a national bank, co-ed education, and Social Security pensions nine years before the United States. Shout out Francis Perkins. He seemed to be leaning too heavily into the idea of westernization rather than Mm, modernization. And a lot of people are going to have a problem with that. Well, and, like, when I was reading this, it seemed like he was trying too hard to copy European countries rather than modernizing. What you need to do is keep your own culture but yeah but modernize not adapt or adopt yeah yeah don't don't copy god damn it how many times am i gonna i'm so sorry when you edit this (laughs) oh kelly keeps bashing her mic because she's so angry so so much of that feel you know you are overreacting you're just way too emotional and you need to calm down maybe if you smiled more uh you wouldn't be so angry all the time quitting this podcast oh my god i felt my heart like grow tighter as kelly stared my ass down through <laughs> you but yeah and so, so he's he's on. more about like i want to be like europe instead of i want afghanistan to be modern right. so he was which he is was not the right way to go leaning about a little too far into one direction too quickly in his attempts to emulate the west amanula also required government employees to follow a western dress code and cut their beards because he felt that traditional afghani clothing wasn't taken seriously on the international stage that sucks Again, it's all about choice. Also, I understand really the beards is. are like a, a religious yeah, yep. element. And so I read that and I was like, oh, shit. Right. Instead of burqas being optional, some areas were considered burqa-free zones. He also allegedly ripped off a woman's burqa uh, who was in a burqa-free zone, leaving her humiliated and devastated. So real quick, burqas are the uh, the modesty clothing that cover your, uh, a woman's entire body. And there's even, even the face and eyes, and there's usually a little section of like a mesh section where the eyes are mm-hmm. so they can see out but you can't really see in so it's mm-hmm. it, it completely conceals it covers you. everything yeah and again guys it's all about choice when telling these stories we try to acknowledge the failings of the people we cover this is a failing again a, i wrote kind of a big one <laughs> again i wrote it's all about choice Amanala revealed these new mandates at a public event. Mm. After his speech, Soraya did the unthinkable and removed her veil in front of everyone. Many other women at the event did follow suit. Uh, The message was that wearing a veil was a choice, not something to be forced on you. So she's like, I don't want to wear it. And a bunch of other women were like, I don't want to wear it either. And then a bunch of women were like, I'm going to keep mine. And everyone's like, cool. Or at least it should have been. Yeah. Rural conservative groups had had enough. 
rebel groups began to form, determined to restore Afghanistan to their traditional ways, resulting in the Afghan Civil War. One rebel group was led by a man named Habibullah, not Amanullah's father, just the same name, but he's better known as Bacha-i-Sakao, or the water carrier, which illustrated his low status. He was just a dude, you know? And we've covered some amazing people who were just people. It's just a dude. This was not an amazing person who was just a dude. And I will refer to him as Sakao because that's easy and cool. Even though this dude wasn't that great of a leader or strategist, he got really lucky. So the military was distracted by a different rebellion. There were some issues with reinforcements. Britain may have been involved. We don't fucking know. Basically, he managed to overthrow Amanullah. Soraya, who was pregnant at the time, overcame her fear of flying and hopped on a plane to flee to India. Amanullah stayed behind. He tried to resist the rebellion and even acquiesced to the rebels' demands, which include going back on his reforms and divorcing Soraya. Despite these efforts, he was forced to flee. And I'm like, I don't think the divorce, that divorce shit really nope. counts because <laughs> upon taking over Afghanistan, Sakao proceeded to get ready for another bullet list. Close schools, make veils mandatory, forbid women from cutting their hair. Reverse that, women's a, suffrage. Wow. Uh, shut. Well, he, there's actually a lot of baggage behind women having short hair, and maybe we'll get into it one of these yeah. days. But it's like a woman cutting her hair short is still kind of a big deal it nowadays. Re- he reversed women's suffrage. So, hey, women, you lost the right to vote. He shut down news outlets that didn't blindly support him. So goodbye journalism and the promotion of science. Uh, he expelled foreign diplomats, and he instituted a travel ban. Oh, of course. Yeah. So you're all here, you're all fucking staying really here. Really fucking stellar. Now, like I mentioned, Sakao wasn't particularly suited for leadership. Honestly, I didn't do a ton of reading into him because he's just like this shitty historical footnote. But he just sounds like the dude who was yelling the loudest. Like, even if all the rebels got together, like, they would not have picked him. He no. just did the thing somehow. <laughs> Right. It was the right right time, right place for him. Exactly. Like, everything kind of fell in place for him. Bullshit. So he didn't understand taxes and was prone to bullying people into getting what he wanted. His staff was also entirely made up of friends and cronies who would do whatever the hell he wanted. Many of these individuals who were not who were now running the fuck the fucking country were illiterate and poorly educated, including Sakao. And I understand that not everyone has the access to education, but I'm like, these guys are running a whole fucking country and they don't know anything. Like like they don't even know how to read. How are they gonna communicate with foreign yeah, Like oh, like they are not prepared for this. <laughs> Sakao was also extremely paranoid and suspicious of those around him. Just like a really fun dude to be around, you know? Thank God Twitter wasn't a thing at the time. Can you imagine? uh, It would be like now. In exile (laughs) in Italy. So originally, Soraya and Amanullah went to India, and then they kind of settled in Italy because she had family there. And they were actually invited by the queen, who was like, oh, my God, you guys. I'm I'm so so sorry. (laughs) So in exile in Italy, Soraya and and Amanullah watched as the progress they had achieved was erased. It probably didn't make them feel much better that after only nine months, Sakao was overthrown and executed. So this dude who over managed to overthrow them was only in power for nine months where everyone's like, nah, bro. Right. Like I said, I think it was right time, right place for him. Yeah. Yeah. 
through foreign go- though foreign governments push for Amanullah to be reinstated as a ruler, conservative religious leaders like, would not accept him. him, and it was a no go. He still had a lot of supporters in Afghanistan, but it was just it wasn't happening. They both held on to their Afghan passports throughout their lives and Aww. seemed to also hold on to the hope that they could one day return. According to their youngest daughter, Princess India of Afghanistan, oh, best fucking name ever, and I'll get into her a little more later, quote, my father did not want to have a second citizenship after his Afghan one. I still don't have Italian citizenship. This woman is 90 fucking years old now, When guys. she's saying that? Well, I think she's 90 now. But she was old when she was saying this. Uh, when I was with my parents and they saw somewhere beautiful, they would say, this is like Afghanistan and start weeping. They just loved their country. You did. Man, I wish I had that much pride in my country because I sure as shit don't. I know. <laughs> Soraya and her husband spent the rest of their lives in exile. Heartbreaking. However, on a slight high note, because I knew we would be here... <laughs> At the bottom of this hole of sadness, Soraya lived to witness the progression in Afghanistan in the 1950s and 60s. So basically, really brief, totally not correct overview. The United States and Russia were both funneling a ton of money into Afghanistan, their infrastructure. And so there was more opportunities for education. And like the country was just starting to modernize again, um, albeit at kind of a, a... more chill pace yeah. that people were able to deal with. So women had more freedom in what they could wear, and Ka- Kabul in particular was a center of fashion. So there are images of women wearing what we would think is very modern, no veils, like short skirts and cute blouses, walking around, going to school. They had access to education and regularly attended university. Obviously, it did not stay this way. But I hope seeing her ideals of choice and freedom, particularly for women, came to coming to fruition made Soraya feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. I hope so. She did I not live so. to see how it ended. So she went out on a high note. Soraya died on April 20th, 1968, at 68 years old in Rome. It was uh, This was eight years after Amanullah had died. Her casket was escorted by the Italian military to a plane that flew her back to Afghanistan where she was honored with a state funeral. Mm-hmm. She's buried next to Amanullah in a gorgeous marble mausoleum in Jalalabad, blog. Afghanistan. It's really like stunning. Uh, Also, Amanullah, when he died, yeah. he got the same treatment. So he yeah. also got the state funeral and everything. At the end of her funeral, a group of women clad in burqas approached Soraya's casket and began to pray and honor the woman who had fought so fiercely for their rights. And who knows how many of those women, like, remembered her and, like, or heard stories stories. about, like, when she was was around and that kind of thing. Like, her people knew of her and what she had done. Legacy. Soraya received several honors during her life, including the decoration of Al-Kamal in Brilliance from Egypt. This is essentially female knighthood in Egypt. The Grand Cross of the Order of the British Empire and the Grand Collar of the Order of the Supreme Sun, which is which was awarded by the former Kingdom of Afghanistan. So that's what it was called. Yep, it was yep, like yep, under yep, the monarchy. Uh, and she was awarded this uh, for high service to the country. Little caveat to this: uh, the grand collar was created by her husband and awarded to her by him. But like, I think we can all agree she definitely deserved it. But I just want to mention that. 
Soraya was also on the cover of Time magazine in 1927. She's stunning. Soraya's youngest daughter, who I mentioned before, Princess India of Afghanistan, has carried on her mother's legacy by fighting for women's Aww. rights and to provide humanitarian aid to Afghanistan. There is so much to say about her, but maybe I'll cover her Another on her day. own. Like, maybe she'll get her own episode. I don't know if there's enough info. Fun fact, Princess India was the baby Soraya was pregnant with when she was fleeing Afghanistan and was born a month after her father abdicated the throne. She was named after the country where she was born. Uh, that the family had initially fled to. Nice. That was cool. She was honored for her work by the Afghan American Women's Association in September of 2011 and Wait, was uh, India. Princess India. Okay. Yep. And was named Person of the Year by Radio Azadi in 2012. So, so Soraya had a significant impact on the country. It was unfortunate it was erased, but her daughter is definitely like. Kicking the ass? torch has been passed, and she's kicking ass, and she's Good. got an amazing fucking name. But yeah, that is Soraya Tarzi, Queen of Afghanistan. That was beautiful. And I feel like what could have been. <laughs> like, right. Uh, so I want to make a small announcement before we go into our ending. We got new merch. We, ha- we have stickers. Or not stickers. We, have, <laughs> we do have stickers. But now we have magnets. They're so cool. They're really cute, guys. They're bigger than I thought they would be, but they're like a really great magnet size because yeah, our, our, new, our new logo stickers are a little smaller. Yeah, they're kind of in between the two. Yeah. They're cute. I so like these. if you these. want one, let us know. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll probably we'll send probably... these. If you're like a $1 donor, we'll probably like send these out or yeah, something. Yeah, maybe that's the first time and then maybe they'll be the $5 yeah what, what normal five dollar tier we don't know we didn't have magnets so they weren't on there i know but what do we do with our stickers five dollar tier five dollar tier so maybe you get a sticker and a magnet okay perfect two stickers and a magnet i haven't decided yet we'll however many i put in your envelope you know what donate to our patreon you'll get some magnets yeah email stickers. us if you have questions but you'll get some magnets yeah. even if you donate at one dollar we're so jazzed you'll probably get a fucking you'll magnet. probably get a fucking <laughs> magnet let's be honest all right. Uh, I know we are short on time, so I think I'm just going to say we are both very thankful for you listeners yes, and are. for our podcast and for this time and this That's line. actually what I was going to say anyways, <laughs> but I, I, whenever I want to say our podcast or like you, I'm like, that feels like a cop out. <laughs> but yeah, no, I actually am. Um, I was looking forward to it this week. I mean, I look forward to it every week, but like... I don't know. I was just extra looking forward to it this week. I had kind of a rough day today, and I almost thought about texting you. I was like, Emily, you know you're going to feel better after right. you podcast. Well, you need I, to I podcast. I kind of debated it, too, because, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, I was just kind of feeling off. But then I was like, I don't I don't want to miss an episode. Right? Well, and I was like, Emily, you're just going to sit at home and feel like shit. If you go on podcast, you're going to feel so much better. Right. I know. So. Exactly. Now I have so much energy, and now I get to go have a massage. It's going to be great. Ooh. Yeah, that's where I need to get Okay, going well, let's get the fuck out of here. Guys, like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Whiny About Herstory, WHPod, WH underscore pod. <laughs> Email us at whinyaboutherstory at gmail.com. Check out our Patreon. All the things, guys. We're everywhere. Five stars, wherever you listen. Kelly's got to go get a massage. Woo! Have an empowered day. Bye! Bye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha